This is Shi'ar Jashub, coming from Shi'ar Jashub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut, and featuring the ministry of Pastor Greg Scalzo. Hi, I'm Patty Scalzo, and in today's program, we will be continuing a sermon in the Heavenly Authority series, where my husband has been focusing on the importance of Christ's servants having an attitude of humility. Having discussed the Luke chapter 14 account of the dinner and the Lord's healing of the man with dropsy at the ruling Pharisee's house, Pastor Greg then began to examine an historical example of what happens when that humility is replaced by pride. Let's rejoin Pastor Greg, and we'll go back a minute for context. And their religious motives are exposed. Why are you serving the Lord? Why are you doing what you're doing? Are you doing it out of show, out of, out of self-aggrandizement to increase yourself for self-importance? Or are you doing it out of love, love for God, love for God's work, love for God's people, to bring people to be right with the Lord? If you're doing it that way, you, you want to see that man with dropsy healed right then at that point. And you praise God for it. If you want to do it the former, if you want to do it for self-increasing, you're going to grab the best seat at the table and you're going to not answer him when he speaks. And often this, this is a theme that runs throughout church history in the seminaries, in the religious institutions. I'm going to read you something from, again, this book, The Light and the Glory on Early American History by Peter Marshall and David Manuel. It comes right after a very dramatic section on how God intervened, all the different miracles that happened during the Revolutionary War that really um, go beyond explanation. And the people at the time, including Washington, would write giving credit to God for having so miraculously delivered them from the hands of the British and bringing about uh, this new nation that there never was a nation like this on earth, independent, free, to worship God and to, and to be the light. They saw themselves as Israel, as the, the city on the hill, as uh, the light to shine forth. Just at the point that they have victory, something happens. The victory is seen in the Constitution. The Constitution was based upon the religious attitude they all had, most of them had. The attitude most of them had that came from their past, the Puritan past, and uh, the Bible past that all men are corrupt. We have a corrupt nature. There's a corrupt human nature. And you need a system of checks and balances because mankind can be depraved. And so they set up an independent executive, an independent legislative, an independent judicial system based upon that Christian belief. A few years later, you have another revolution that goes on over in France. But it's not based upon Christianity. When they're, when they're at the Continental Congress, they're praying. Washington is declaring days of prayer constantly to the troops. Every time something happens, they have to have a day of prayer, a day of praise. It's not like that over in France. In France, it's based upon enlightenment. It's based upon all the new thinking. Voltaire, Rousseau, the age of reason, the enlightenment. 
that man is the center, not God. We don't need God because man is good enough on his own. Opposite perspectives. Now, if you stand back and you say revolution, you have the American Revolution followed immediately by the French Revolution, but a different spirit behind them. One was because they wanted to have the freedom to worship God. They were coming in and forcibly, they were taking over Bible churches and making them storehouses for British military arms. They understood that their freedom of religion was going to be violated. They would not be able to worship as their forefathers, who had done all the hard labor and suffered all the starvation and famines and all the dangers to establish this land. And so they prayed to God, and there was a great resistance by many of them to rebel against leadership until it became clear to them they were not rebelling against leadership. This was an independent nation that God had founded. Constantly seeking God's direction. In France, we want nothing of God. We're enlightened. We have science. We have reason. Man is good enough on his own. They don't have a constitution like the American Constitution, and the end result is within a very short time of the French Revolution, you have the bankruptcy of that philosophy and such cruelty as seldom has been seen in the history of mankind, right? One group beheading another group and another group coming into power and they behead the previous group that beheaded the royalty. And it goes on, there's a reign of terror until finally then eventually they put in a dictator, they put in an emperor, Napoleon, right? So you can see where enlightenment and rationalism and this whole premise that man is good enough on his own leads, as opposed to our foundation, which said, no, mankind is depraved. That's why we need checks and balances, and you don't give power to any one person, because if you have the people electing and you have a judicial that's put in, but then is independent of the legislative, which is independent of the executive, unless the people become totally corrupt, which is what we're starting to see today, We've tried to confine as best we can, because there's no perfect system, the nature of mankind. So at this point that there should be the positive movement, this is the fulfillment of all that was planted by their ancestors. You have, he writes here, because the new rationalism or enlightenment of the age of reason soon found its way into the most fashionable salons on this side of the Atlantic, it moves over, it comes over, the whole philosophy. They love the French rationalism, the age of reason, the age of science. Well, this rationalism, this enlightenment, finds its way across the Atlantic into the United States. Uh, it became fashionable. Preachers such as Dwight, Dwight is Timothy Dwight, we talked about him, he was the head of Yale, he was a grandson of Jonathan Edwards, he was the one, the main one, in the Second Great Awakening that fights against the Enlightenment thought. And Witherspoon, I believe Witherspoon was down at Princeton. Those schools initially were, believe it or not, at one time they were good Christian schools, were terribly concerned, particularly since the epidemic seemed to be gaining such a foothold on their respective campuses, on Yale, at Princeton. But many other ministers were actually duped by his subtle blandishments, for it flattered it flattered the ego by exalting the intellect. The explosion of light progressed so rapidly, what they called light, the Enlightenment, progressed so rapidly that soon the Enlightenment held that science would eventually find the answer to every problem, 
an idea that has gone bankrupt in only the past few decades. Well, it's still around. Moreover, there were certain demonstrable natural laws as immutable as the scriptural laws of the Old and New Testaments that kind of replaced the Old and New Testament. They talked more about natural law than God's law. They talked about human wisdom rather than God's wisdom. And so the sermons of the day, God's place began to be shared equally with the laws of nature. The ministers started to get affected. They started to bring enlightenment into their sermons. They wanted to show they, they were part of this age of reason as well. They say, how could so many ministers have been taken in? And you know many denominations, mainline denominations today, are saturated with enlightenment thinking, with age of reason thinking. They ask, how could it have been taken in? The Puritan tradition in America had put great emphasis on the importance of a well-trained and disciplined mind as a tool to be placed at God's disposal and totally submitted to his will and glory. In other words, when you, when you go back to the Puritan um, roots, they wanted their ministers to be learned. They didn't want them to be stupid. They want them to know the scriptures. They want them to know the languages. They want them to know the word of God. They didn't want just very shallow sermons. They wanted meat, right? So they put emphasis on being disciplined, a well-trained mind, like Paul would say to Timothy. Train yourself up. Show yourself to be approved. Train your mind. Rightly divide the word of God. They couldn't be lazy. As we have seen, most of the first colleges in America were founded in order to give American-born future ministers educations equal to those hitherto obtainable only at Oxford and Cambridge over in England. Right? That's Yale was founded to train young men to be ministers of Christ, able to be well-equipped. Right? This was part of their, of their mission statement, how they've changed, how the founders, what they would say today if they saw... Uh, what goes on in Yale Seminary. And the ministers were further encouraged to continue their studies after college. For one thing the Puritans despised was a quote-unquote dumb dog for a clergyman in the pulpit. But the intellect is one of Satan's prime harvesting grounds for reaping the fruit of pride. And without the strong check and balances of an awareness of the dangers of self-righteousness, right, that's what we just read about in Luke chapter 14, it can soon become an instrument for the glorification of self, not God. What is he saying? There was emphasis placed on training the mind, knowing the things you need to know to feed the people. That was part of the roots of the movement that founded this nation. So now when you have the university succumbing to this rationalism, this age of reason apart from God, pride, if you want to seem smart, if you want to seem intelligent, you go, no matter, no matter how many degrees you have, you go into Stop and Shop and you tell people, by the way, I believe Adam and Eve really existed, right? I believe the Bible's true. I believe God part of the Red Sea. You could have as many doctrines behind your name, they're going to look upon you, many people, and laugh. Right? You believe that? You could have studied and studied and studied. You could know Greek, you could know Hebrew, you could know science. No matter what you know, if you say you believe in Adam and Eve, right away you're labeled as what? Stupid. Right? And people that think of themselves as learned, like the Pharisees, right? 
like the Puritan ministers coming out of the universities, the last thing they want because of pride is to look stupid. So how can we fit in today? This is what's how can we fit in the Bible with evolution? How can we fit in the Bible with the Big Bang, right? How can we fit in the Bible with, with always lead to God? Because we don't want to be on television and look stupid, right? You can see the one thing that God can use for his benefit, right? You, you want people to know the word of God. You want them to be learned. Then the devil can take and twist around because of pride to destroy the church because now they're going to water down the word of God with all these other intellectual teachings such as enlightenment reasoning, uh, age of reason, science, what goes as science but is not science because we want to look a certain way. Many ministers were being led astray into enlightenment thinking. Indeed, things got to the point in some ministerial circles, much like today, it became rather naive and even a trifle primitive to think of God in such intensely intimate and personal terms as had been the case in first century Christianity. Our Sunday Sermon is live-streamed on YouTube at 10.30 a.m. Afterwards, it is posted up not only on the Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle channel on YouTube, but also on Rumble.com and now on the church website itself at www.shiarjeshub.org. You will find links to all three options on the shiarjeshub.org homepage, along with links to our radio program library.